Today, as I mentioned, we're going to finish our series called All In with a lesson we're going to title TikTok. TikTok. And we'll get there here in a bit. We're going to look at Romans 13, 11 to 14. But before we do that, did you ever ignore a warning? Did you ever ignore a warning? There are warnings all around us. And sometimes perhaps we ignore those warnings. Well, I'm going to give you my top 10 warnings you should not ignore. And then by, I'm going to do this. By this way, I'm going to give you 10 groups of people and the warning that that group of people should not ignore, okay? 10 groups of people with 10 warnings they shouldn't ignore. Not all of these are funny. Just It's just a very honest list, okay? Number one, nurses and doctors. If they ever hear the term code blue, that's not something you want to ignore. I believe code blue means a serious critical medical issue is happening right now and doctors and nurses need to pay attention to that because there's an entire code based on that. So code blue, if you're a nurse or a doctor, you want to pay attention to that. Number two, pilots, if they ever see the term engine failure on their dash or wherever it tells them that, that's something you don't want to ignore. You want to pay attention to engine failure or you might crash an airplane. It's that honest. How about college students? We have a couple here. College students, if your professor ever says this test is 40% of your grade, that's nothing to ignore, Chris. Have you ever done that? I did that when I was in college. I bombed one of the biggest tests of the year. And that's a, that's a tough hole to climb out of. If you fail and bomb a test, that is 40% of your grade. So pay attention to that one, college students. How about hikers? Anyone hike? Anyone go hiking? Yes? Okay, we have one. One hiker here. Well, if, if a hiker's ever hiking and you see a skunk with his tail in the air, that's a warning to not ignore, right? And I, I've been told that the strategy for skunks is you actually want to chase the skunk. Is that true? Can anybody fact check that? No. You don't want to run away from the skunk. I'm going to tell you right now, if a skunk has its tail in the air, I'm out of there. I am running as fast as I can. In fact, I'm probably going to do one of those zigzag runs just so he can't outrun me. Uh, but hikers or anyone, if you see a skunk with his tail in the air, that's something you don't want to avoid. How about children? I have my child here today, one of my children. Um, if your parents ever say this to you, you're on thin ice. Anyone ever done that? Anyone ever heard that before? You're on thin ice. Pay attention because that's not something you want to ignore. The next words that come out of your mouth or the, the next thing you do could break the ice. You're on thin ice. I remember dad and mom saying that to me many times and I generally got off the ice at that moment. Yeah, but um, how about pastors? Sometimes pastors get warnings, and sometimes those warnings aren't bad warnings. Sometimes it's a good warning. If a pastor is ever told from somebody, I want to give some money to the church, that is nothing I want to ignore. I want to whip out a box or a hat or take them right into my office and drop whatever I'm doing and make sure they have the opportunity to give me money, give money to the church. Don't ignore that one. How about parents? Sometimes parents get warnings. Uh, if your child ever says to you, Daddy or Mommy, I think I'm going to be sick. What does that mean? Yeah, thank you, Dan. That means you need to act pronto. In fact, let me give you a story. Uh, this past Wednesday, driving home from church family time, uh, I was driving my three boys home in the car, and my, my son, one of my twins, Levi, just wasn't looking quite right. Just kind of had that look. And his head was kind of off to the side. I couldn't tell if he was tired or just not feeling good. But I've seen that look before as a parent. And so I didn't have a lot of... Uh, supplies with me to help such a process, but I had a plastic bag. Grace, if you remember, you gave me some leftovers and you put it in a plastic bag. And I thought in the back of my mind, I need to have something just in case. So I emptied the leftovers onto the car seat and I had a, now I had an empty plastic bag. 
Five minutes go by and I hear that noise, kind of like a geyser bubbling up. And uh, I grabbed that plastic bag and I whipped it back to Levi and I think he got 80% of it inside the bag. But it was better than 0%, right? Uh, in fact, when I was little, I'll share another story with you. I think I've shared this before. When I was little, we had a babysitter one Sunday. My parents were gone. Do you remember this? And I was, I was like 10 or 11 years old. And I told this babysitter on this particular Sunday I wasn't feeling good. I don't think I should go to church. And she thought I was bluffing. She worked That's right. She was your secretary. She, she thought I was bluffing. So uh, she, we got in the car. She said, get your clothes on. We're going to church. So we got in the car, got in her car. She put me in the back. She got in her seat right in front of me. As soon as she sat down, this is really crass, but I projectile vomited all over this woman's head. Um, I wasn't faking. She knew that after that. Parents, if you ever hear the phrase, I think I'm going to be sick, that's nothing you want to ignore. Husbands, sometimes husbands get warnings. Husbands, if your wife ever says you're not as romantic as you used to be, that's nothing you want to ignore. That is like that morning, that afternoon, you go get some flowers, get some chocolates, get her a Dunkin' Donuts, give her five $100 bills, I don't even know. Make sure you know that she knows that you are, she is still very special to you. Wives. Sometimes wives can get warnings. Now, this one's probably a little too silly to mention in a pulpit, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, if a husband ever says to a wife, I shouldn't have had that bean burrito this late at night. Don't ignore that warning. That's probably, give that guy some wide berth. Give him some distance. Maybe sleep on the couch for a night. Don't ignore that warning. Uh, one more. Wilkes-Barreans. Is that a term? Wilkes-Barreans? Yeah. Wilkes-Barreans, if you ever hear the phrase, there's a tornado warning in Luzerne County. Don't ignore that because a little under three years ago, a tornado came right through Luzerne County and wiped out some of the shopping district. So there's a warning you don't want to ignore. There's ten warnings you don't want to ignore. We have one more, and that's going to transition us into our lesson today. And this one's for all of us. If your Lord ever says to you, I am coming soon, I'm coming soon, that's not a warning you want to ignore, is it? And that's kind of the spirit of the lesson today. As we look at a lesson we're going to call Tick-Tock. If you have your Bibles, join me in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14, and listen to the Word of God. Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul, he says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. For our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, if you're at all in tune with pop culture, you might be thinking today that the title of my lesson is about the evils of social media. Perhaps. TikTok. Uh, although that would not be a bad subject for maybe a more intimate setting, that's not what the Lord has given me today. That's not why I titled it this Although I will say this, I came up with the lesson title for this particular sermon after seeing a commercial for the popular social media and after shaking my head at it like an old geezer who wonders what happened to the good old days of normal communication and hanging out with people. 
I decided to repurpose this title for my lesson today because TikTok is kind of the sound of a, of a clock moving, right? A clock moving TikTok. My son asked me that. He goes, why did you call it TikTok? And I had to explain to him that's kind of the sound of a clock moving, at least kind of an analog clock, at least. TikTok. Today's lesson is the culmination of our series called All In. Today we finish that series by hopefully a very powerful lesson from the Word of God on the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, last Sunday was Easter, and we're kind of going in chronological order. Easter was when Jesus rose from the grave. And now we're going to look at when Jesus returns to the earth, because Jesus said, I'm coming soon. But before we get there, let's take time, let's recap our series very, very quickly by looking at our last six lessons about being all in. Okay, number one, Jesus, well, the first lesson we looked at was being all in, and we titled it All In, and this is where Jesus commanded us to deny ourselves to pick up our cross, and to follow him. That's where we got this concept of being all in. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Number two is we looked at promises for the faithful, and we looked at God's amazing promises, and there are many, and there are several and dozens of those promises, and they all have one condition, being all in for Jesus Christ. Number three, we looked at a continuing commitment. Pastor Mel spoke to us about staying all in, and going on for God over the long haul and being steadfast and, and immovable in that process, being committed and continuing that commitment. That was number three. Number four, if you remember, it was called airtight. Airtight. We studied the promises of God that they can never break. They can never fail. Therefore, our God, our Lord, can never, ever let us down because his promises are airtight. Number five, Pastor Mel spoke to us about being all in and going from all talk to all in. And he used the life of Peter, the life of Peter, to encourage us to go from all talk, which Peter was, to all in, which is where Peter arrived at. And number six, if you were with us last week, we spoke on what's so great about life. What is so great about life? In our Easter message, we looked at the value of eternal life and why we should be all in for Jesus based on his amazing gift for us. And now we talk about TikTok. Today we explore the brevity of time on this earth and how we must be all in for Jesus before it's too late. Now, I wonder if you're time conscious. Are you a time conscious person? You probably all are. If you're the typical American, then you're always generally aware of the time, right? Always. We're so aware of the time that we're almost slaves to time. Aren't we? We're almost slaves, slaves to the clock. We can't allow ourselves the crime of forgetting the time, most of us. We have schedules to keep and errands to run and appointments to make and things to check off our to-do lists before the day comes to a close. We don't know a life without a consciousness towards time, do we? We don't know that life. But if that is true, then shouldn't Americans have an advantage over the rest of the world for being ready for Jesus to come back? I mean, think about it. If we're time conscious... And Jesus' second coming is the biggest, most important event on our calendars, then we all should be pretty prepared for that event, logically speaking. Our main passage today is one that is very near and dear to my heart, Romans 13, 11 to 14. The Lord brought this specific passage to me when I was 26 years old and in the midst of a long spiritual wandering period. And this passage came to me along with the book of Revelation, to wake me up from my spiritual sleep. 
In fact, this passage, Romans 13, 11 to 14, was the first passage I actually memorized by choice. No one prompted me to do it. I memorized it by choice. So it's a very powerful passage to me personally, and I believe if we pay attention today, it will be for all of us as well. Let's get right into it. The Apostle Paul begins this passage by saying this. He says, besides this, you know the time. Besides this, you know the time. The phrase besides this pertains to what Paul had just said right before that, in our passage right before ours. And so let's look at it very briefly and listen to what Paul had just said before he says besides this. He says this in verse 8 of Romans 13, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul had just exhorted his readers towards loving others by stating that the entire law of God can be summed up with one word. Love. Simple love. And therefore, nothing is as important to Christians as a duty than loving our neighbor. Nothing. And this is what Paul meant when he says the phrase, besides this. Or in other words, Paul is basically telling us, now that you know that loving your neighbor is the most important duty for Christians, and it's how you fulfill the entire law of God, then I have one more thing to tell you. And this is what he says, besides this, you know the time. Now Paul has already told us that love is the most important duty, and we all should know that by now, shouldn't we? We've gone over that ad nauseum. How many times has the Lord told us that love, loving him and loving others, are the most important duties for Christians? So much so, nobody can claim they missed it, right? It's all over Scripture. And now Paul says this. He says, you know the time. You know the time. Now, I'm a parent of seven young children now. And I empathize with what Paul is saying to the believers in Rome. Because I've often said to my children, or at least thought in my head, I told you what to do. I told you when to do it. You can't say to me I didn't know because you did know. I made sure of it. Any parents empathize there? Paul continues by saying this. He says, besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. Now, any parents out there struggle or have children who struggle getting out of bed in the morning, right? I remember that process. When I was a teenager, I didn't want to get out of bed. I I like to stay up late and sleep in late, and I struggled getting to school on time. Or any grown-ups struggle getting out of bed in the morning? It's an honest struggle now sometimes. We're so rigid. We're so, we're so by the clock that most, most parents who have kids especially have to get out of bed real, real early. But some of us do struggle getting out of bed in the morning. The alarm clock can be traced as far back as a few hundred years before Jesus was born. Did you know that? The alarm clock. Ancient civilizations used to use water and rocks to make sounds as an alarm clock for themselves. I found that interesting. And the first alarm clock that was invented in America was invented in the year 1787. It's a long time ago. So we've had alarm clocks almost as long as we've been a nation here in America. Alarm clocks are pretty important to Americans. And also, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Mel spoke to us on the life of Peter 
And he told us that the night Jesus was betrayed, that Peter was going to deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. Remember that? Roosters, too, have often been used as alarm clocks, especially for people like farmers, because the rooster, so I've heard, will crow as soon as the sun rises. So it's like a natural alarm clock. It's kind of like children. Children crow, kind of, in their own way, right as the, before the sun rises. But it's possible that the night Jesus was betrayed, that Jesus and his disciples, they had been up all night with Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, and his trial before the Sanhedrin. And so when the rooster crowed, it crowed at dawn, right after Peter denied Jesus three times. Suffice to say, we know that alarm clocks are necessary, necessary tools, right? Because they serve to wake us from our sleep when we need to get out of bed. Well, the Apostle Paul's message today is acting like a spiritual alarm clock for us. He's saying to every single one of us, it's well past the time for you to wake up from your sleep. It's well past the time for you to wake up from your sleep. Now, the sleep he's referring to is not physical sleep, right? But spiritual sleep. He's referring to spiritual sleep. It's honest, but it's also heartbreaking that many people are fast asleep when they should be wide awake and alert, spiritually speaking. In fact, I believe it's also honest that Pastor Mel and I chose the series title All In because we believe that there were some maybe even among us who were asleep spiritually when they should be wide awake. Perhaps because of COVID-19, Or maybe just because we're Americans and we have a lot on our plates, but far too many professing Christians here in this country are spiritually asleep when they should be awake, alert, and ready for Jesus to return. So this message today is a necessary one. It is. And it was necessary for me at at, at age 26 when I was in my spiritual wandering. The Lord brought this message to me like a spiritual alarm clock. And I'm going to tell you this today. The reason I'm here today is because of that moment that the Lord waked, woke me up from my sleep and said, Todd, it's time to wake up. It's time to get moving. It's well past the time. Why does Paul believe that we need to be awake spiritually? Why? I mean, it's the same with physical sleep, right? If I get to my job, does it matter if I'm alert and crisp? As long as I'm there, as long as I've shown up, do I need to be really that alert? Do I need a a Red Bull or a five-hour energy to wake me up? What's the point of being so crisp and so alert, Paul? And he's going to say this to us today. He says this, For our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That's why. Our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Now, I believe this part needs a little bit of explanation because many of us have already been saved, correct? For many years. I was saved when I was five years old. I'm now 41. That's 36 years in the past is my salvation. So why is Paul speaking about a seemingly future salvation? What's he talking about? Well, quite simply, if you know anything about Christianity, this metaphor comes up a lot. The Christian life is a race. It's a race. It's like a race. Or you can say a race is like Christianity. There's a beginning to the race when we begin following Jesus Christ and we trust in him. And there's an end to the race when Jesus returns to the earth. And when he does, Lord willing, he's going to gather his church, his people to himself, 
And he's going to open up the gates of heaven for us and allow us to enter the kingdom of God because we faithfully follow Jesus upon the earth. So when Paul says our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed, he's not referring to when we got saved. Okay? When we first trusted in Jesus, when we started following the Lord. That's not what he's referring to today. He's referring to the final salvation we will experience when we stand before the Lord on Judgment Day. And he says something similar to this. Your sins are paid for. You loved and you followed me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome to the kingdom I have prepared for you. Something similar to that will come out of the Lord's mouth on the last day if we are found to be in Christ. And thanks to the grace of God, our life will stand up. It will stand up under the scrutiny of God's word and God's judgment because we faithfully, not perfectly, we faithfully follow the Lord and we obeyed his commandments. And this is the future salvation Paul is referring to when he says our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And this is not the only time in Scripture that a future salvation is referenced. Did you know that? A future salvation. Listen to the passage from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9, and see if you could find it. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I don't have the entire thing on the screen. Otherwise, you can just listen. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Listen to what Peter says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's Easter for you. To an inheritance that is imperished, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Listen to this phrase. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And listen to the phrase, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you notice it? Do you notice a future salvation Peter is referring to, just like Paul referred to? A coming salvation. Here again, Peter refers to a future salvation. It's not a different salvation. Like you needed two different salvations. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying there's a beginning to the race, an initial salvation, and there's an end to the race, a final salvation. Just like there was a beginning to our series All In, and today is the end of our series All In. There's a beginning and an end. And if you have believed in Jesus and are following him today, then you are saved. You are saved from your sins. And you are in the Christian race today. All of us, if we believed in Jesus Christ. But it's also true, biblically speaking, that we must finish the race. We must continue. And that was a continuing commitment that Pastor Mel spoke to us about. We need to finish the race if we want to experience the final salvation of our souls. When the Lord finds our name in the book of life on the last day, and he opens up the gates of heaven for us. Do you remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy to his young protege, Do you remember what he said? He said, Timothy, 
As he was about to leave the earth, he was about to be martyred, and he said this phrase, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of glory. Because I fought the good fight, I finished the race. If we do not finish the Christian race, quite simply, we're not saved. All part of the show, everybody. If, I'll say that again. If we do not finish the Christian race, we're not saved. We can't be because salvation has a beginning and an end. It has a beginning and an end. If we began the race, we must also finish the race by God's grace and by faithfulness to Jesus, obedience to Jesus. If we do not finish the race, then perhaps we were never in the race at all. Perhaps we never counted the cost. Perhaps we never realized that when we say yes to Jesus, we must be all in for him until the end. You and I must all run and finish the race set before us if we expect to reach the kingdom of heaven. We need to believe in Jesus. We need to follow Jesus. And we need to endure until the end. Every single one of us, myself included. Here's another familiar passage that proves that to us. Hebrews Chapter 12, listen to the terminology. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, Jesus is our model. Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus is our captain. He is the one we follow. And even Jesus had to finish his race. He had to finish his race in order to be exalted by God in heaven. So we understand that we must finish our race in order to receive the prize and enter the kingdom of heaven. There can be no argument to this. It is all over scripture. Just because you are say you're a Christian or you go to church, that's, that's not what Christ is looking for in the last day. He is looking for longevity and faithfulness and a finished race, a completion. So when Paul says our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed, he is referring to the day when Jesus returns to the earth to gather his people and to bring them into heaven with us. We are near to that day now than we were when we first trusted in Jesus. We're near now. We are near to that day now than we've ever been before. We've never been nearer than we have been right now. In fact, we are more near to that day than we possibly could realize. We are close. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Aren't you glad for that? It's coming, and it's coming quickly. Therefore, Paul would say to us, wake up. Wake up. Stay alert. Run your race with endurance because the end is almost here. Jesus is on his way back. We are all on the final leg of the race. Now, I'm not a runner. I don't like to run. I don't know why people enjoy running, but I understand the logic of running, that you start off with a normal pace. You don't want to burn yourself out, right? But when it's the last leg of the race and the finish line is coming near, You sprint. 
you run. You give everything you have to finish with a good time or to beat your opponents and to complete the race. So Paul says this phrase to us. He says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Now, we've all had the experience of waking up late, haven't we? Everyone's experienced that at some moment in their life. They woke up late. Let's give you a hypothetical scenario. You need to be to work at 8 o'clock in the morning, okay? And you've told yourself, I need to wake up at 6.30 in order to make it in time. But we sleep past our alarm, or our alarm didn't work, or something didn't function properly there in the morning. And now we wake up and the clock reads 7.40 a.m. And we need to be to work at 8 o'clock. And now we have that panic inside of us that we realize we're going to be late unless we move very, very quickly. I've been there before. And when that happens, if we're committed to being on time, we, we don't get cute with what we're going to wear that day or what we're going to eat for breakfast that morning, or maybe we don't even shower or brush our teeth kind of gross. But we grab the first thing we see in our closet, almost falling over as we put our pants on. We grab a Pop-Tart from the cabinet and we gather our things as quickly as we can and we rush out the door. We run back into the house because we forgot our wallet and our keys and maybe that stupid mask. And we get into our car ready to drive like Jason Bourne and the Bourne identity in order to get to work on time because otherwise we're going to be late. Anyone ever been there before? I was there at my job before this one. Sometimes you sleep in, right? Sometimes it's past the time. This right here is what Paul is telling the Roman Christians. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The night is over. It's over. The dawn is here. There is no time to lean over to your alarm clock and hit the snooze button for another seven to nine minutes. It's time to quickly yank the blankets off your body and jump out of bed because Jesus is coming soon. You know that, right? Every one of you should know that. Jesus is on his way back. He's coming soon. Are you still asleep? If you know what it's like to be behind your time for work or an important meeting, you know what Paul is referring to here. Only Paul is not referring to work or an important meeting. He's referring to the second coming of our Lord Jesus and the finish line for our Christian race. It's almost here. The end is very, very near. The race is almost over. Tick, tock. Time is moving quickly. There's no time to sleep spiritually. It's time to move. It's time to do the will of God before it's too late. And Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He's going to tell us exactly and precisely what being awake spiritually looks like. Aren't you thankful for Paul to do that? He's not just going to say, get moving, get active, do something religious. No, he's going to say, here, do these things, be about these things before the Lord comes back. So what, Paul? Tell us what to do. And in verse 12, he says this, Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 
If you understand the message today, then you know you have to make absolutely sure that you are all in for Jesus before he returns. Before he returns. You need to be all in for Jesus Christ. This is crucial. Absolutely crucial because your eternal life is at stake. Your eternal life is at stake. Finding us asleep when Jesus comes back is not an option. It's not an option. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because only those who are ready and waiting and anticipating Jesus' return by following him faithfully are the ones who are going to heaven. This is a doctrine in scripture. If you say you're a Christian, your life will prove it when Jesus comes back. You will be ready and waiting and anticipating his return. And everyone else will be seen as a fraud. A fraud. You weren't Christian. No fake Christian is going to get into heaven because God is not going to be mocked by our vain attempts at sleepwalking in the Christian race. A race that we just celebrated and Jesus spilled his blood to put us in. He's not going to be mocked by frauds and by vain attempts to sleepwalk in this race. So Paul says this, he says, Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The first thing we need to do is we need to cast off any sins that are weighing us down and causing us to be sleepy. Works of darkness have no business in the Christian race. Isn't that true? No business in the Christian race. We need to recognize today that these things, whatever these things are in your life, they are hurting God and they're hurting our ability to be all in for Jesus. They're hurting us. And then once we recognize those things, by God's grace, we have to put those things out of our life for good because they're dangerous. Works of darkness are contrary against the light. They're dangerous for any of us to play around with. And Paul is saying it's well past the time that you stop playing around with sin and get rid of those filthy habits once and for all. Now, I don't know what your habits are. I don't know what your tendencies are. But I do know mine. And Paul is saying it's time to take those things out and to shoot them. And to get rid of them. Because they are doing you no service at all. They're hurting you. They're hurting your ability to be all in for Jesus. And they're hurting God. Or maybe you guys have heard the old saying from John Owen. He said, be killing sin. Or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. This is a fight to the death. Do you remember our, free, our, our study through the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 6 said, put on the whole armor of God. This is a fight to the death. And we need to fight sin as if sin is trying to destroy us. And sin has to die, and sin will die if you want it to, because God will help you. That's number one, is cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Number two, he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. The next thing we need to do or begin doing is walking according to the daytime. The daytime. When someone wakes up from their physical sleep, they stop all sorts of sleeping characteristics, don't they? That's honest. They stop snoring, hopefully. They stop snuggling their blankets and possibly drooling. No judging. 
But when you're awake, you stop all the sleeping characteristics because now it's daytime. And it's time to start acting like a person in the daytime. Asleep things are fine when you're asleep. Because when you're asleep, you don't know how to act properly. You do what's ever natural to the flesh. But as awakened Christians, we need to not sleep anymore. We are to live in the daytime at all times. At all times. Spiritual sleep equates to living in darkness, living in sin, and living in disobedience. And none of us can afford that. If the Lord has saved us from our sins and told us he's on his way back to us, we cannot afford to walk in the darkness any longer. So Paul tells us to stop living like the world. Stop living like the world. The world is fast asleep. They're not right. They're wrong. The world is spiritually asleep this very moment. They're acting as if orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, and jealousy are normal behavior. That's their lifestyle. And they're dead asleep. And I emphasize the word dead. They're dead asleep. That sort of behavior is not normal, especially for the Christian. We are supposed to be awake. The Lord has awakened us from our spiritual sleep, and it took the spilling of his blood in order to do that. How dare, how dare we hit the snooze button and go back to sleep? How dare we? Now, can you imagine how odd someone would look if they, did the, if they did the things that they do asleep while they're awake? Humor me. Imagine if you were sitting next to someone in a meeting and all of a sudden they began to snore. Their eyes are awake, but they're snoring. Um, all of a sudden, they flipped their body entirely over to the other side of the chair and they tucked their satchel bag underneath their head and they begin drooling on it. Would that look strange? Would that look strange to see someone in a meeting next to you drooling, snoring, cuddling their satchel bag? That would look strange, right? But not as strange as a Christian living in darkness. That's stranger. That's weirder. That's more bizarre. It's crazy to do asleep things when you're awake or supposed to be awake, right? It's crazy. A trip to the therapist would not be out of the question for a person like that. Now, we all know the dangers of texting while we drive or driving under the influence of drugs and alcohol. We all know that, right? But what about sleeping while you drive? Is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing to sleep while you drive? Has anyone ever been there before? Just slip it up. You're tired. You're too tired to drive, but you are driving. Why aren't there commercials for this? People who sleep while they drive. I feel like those people are all around me when I'm driving. You momentarily fall asleep while you drive. Has anyone ever done this? Is that okay to do, to fall asleep while you drive? Could that even be worse than texting while you drive? Could it be equal at least to drinking and driving? Being asleep while you're behind the wheel? I've shared this before, but I've done this before. I've done this before. Uh, I don't remember how long ago there was this, at least 15 years ago. But I was driving very, very tired. And it was either early in the morning or late at night. I don't remember which it was. But I got to that stretch of the road where it was very boring and very straight. And I'm very tired. And at one point in the trip, I dozed off. I don't remember how long it was. But when I came to, 
my wheels were past the rumble strips on the road, and I was hugging the side of the, the median there. And I, I did as most of us would do. I woke up and I jerked the wheel back over, not knowing what I was doing, and I actually jerked it too far, and I came back in the other lane. And uh, I'd realized that I had dozed off momentarily, just, just for a moment. I, I fell asleep while I was driving. And once I realized that I, I did that, I was now panicked. Now, I should, what I should have done is I should have put the car to the road, to the side of the road and called somebody or taken a nap or even gone to a hotel and slept. But I kept driving because I didn't want to do any of those. But I decided in my mind, I have to stay awake. If I fall asleep, I could be dead and I could kill someone else. Falling asleep is not an option. So maybe you remember the story. This is what I did. I decided to turn my music all the way up as far as I could tolerate it. I blasted the music, and I pulled, I uh, rolled all the windows down. And it was cold. It wasn't like one of those warm sun, summer days. I rolled all the windows down so the air is blasting me in the face. And I started slapping myself in the face at certain times. When I started to feel drowsy and like I was going to doze off, I started smacking myself in the face. And I told myself, I am not going to fall asleep no matter what happens because I could die or I could kill somebody else. But you can, can you imagine rolling up next to an idiot like that? The music's blaring, the windows are down, and he's smacking himself. I don't know what I must have looked like to people, but I stayed awake. I stayed awake, and I got to my destination. Guys, we have to be awake behind the wheel. More importantly, we have to be awake in the Christian life, or we might die eternally. We need to do whatever necessary to stay awake. Are you? The third thing Paul says is this. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Perhaps you could see the idea, or where we get the idea all in with what Paul is saying. Once we put to death the deeds of the darkness and once we stop acting like spiritually asleep people, we need to put on Jesus and do everything that he taught us to do. That's what Paul is saying. Spiritually awake people put off sin and put on Jesus. They put off darkness and they put on the light. Just not sinning is not enough. We are not placed on this earth just to avoid sinful things. Like, I'm going to make this group of people, I'm going to put them on the earth and do whatever you can to not do bad things. That's not the point. The point is to follow and obey the will of the Lord. And we cannot follow and obey the will of the Lord until sin is put away, can we? The only way the race can be won and completed is if sin is put off and Jesus is put on. This idea of putting off sin and putting on righteousness is all over the scripture. This is Christianity. To daily, faithfully put off sin when it's revealed in your life. When God says that's wrong, that's evil, that's darkness, put it off. That's half the battle. And the other half is to faithfully put on obedience to Jesus. That is Christianity. That's what Christianity looks like. That's what following Jesus looks like. Put to death sin and put on and start following the new practices that Jesus taught you. Only when we begin to understand this process... Will we run the Christian race the way it was intended? And when we are running the race faithfully, and only then can we say that we are spiritually awake and ready for Jesus 
to return. The only other option to being spiritually awake is to be spiritually asleep. And if we sleep right now, we die for all eternity. And if we're awake now, we'll live for all eternity. And I'm concerned. I'm concerned that many people I love, including some maybe in this church body, are acting like spiritual sleepwalkers. You're coming to church sometimes. You're doing enough to fool others, even yourself, that you're on the path. But in all reality, you're asleep. You're not running the Christian race, and you're not ready for Jesus to return. You're snoring. You're fixing your pillows, and you're shifting yourself in your spiritual bed to get more comfortable. Right now, people like that might be able to get away with it. They might. Because it's easy to trick people. It's easy to trick ourselves that we're awake when we're actually asleep. And I did this for a long, long time. Hardly anyone, hardly anyone said anything to me because I was sleepwalking. And as long as people see some religious movement in your life, they want to assume the best that you're awake spiritually when in fact you might be dead asleep. But thankfully, God saw me dead asleep and he was concerned enough to set a spiritual alarm clock for me. So Romans 13, 11 to 14 was sent to me by the Lord at age 26. And that passage entered my mind and it beeped and it beeped and it beeped and it beeped until I couldn't ignore it anymore. By God's grace, I stopped hitting the snooze button. I yanked the blankets off of me. I wiped the sleep out of my eyes. And I finally got moving for Jesus. And by God's grace, I'm still awake today because of that period in my life. But sadly and tragically, for every success story like that, there are also stories of failure. There will be people like me that receive the same alarm clock from God, like the one we're speaking about today. And just like in my mind, in my heart, it beeped and it beeped and it beeped. But they reached over and they hit the snooze button one more time. And if people like this don't wake up soon, they may never wake up again. It's an all-too-real story, and it might be your story, unless you listen to the Lord and finally wake up and begin being all in for Jesus. we got to move quickly, but I want to share with you a couple passages of Scripture. There's a famous parable in Scripture that speaks about this exact concept. It's called the Parable of the Ten Virgins. I don't have time to teach this, but I'm just going to read it. It comes from Matthew chapter 25. Listen to the word of God. Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. 
And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise said to them, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You see, five of the ten virgins did not take the coming of the bridegroom seriously, even though they claimed to belong to him and they claimed to be waiting for him. He came when they were all fast asleep and the five foolish virgins had no oil for their lamps? What happened if the bridegroom came at night? And they couldn't find him because they were still unprepared to meet him. And tragically, in this story, the Lord came and he left without them because they were scrambling to find some oil. And now and forever, they're on the outside looking in with shame, wishing and hoping to rewind the clock and to make different choices in their lives. But tragically, it's too late. Tick, tock. Time is waning and there may not be many minutes on that clock before Jesus arrives back to this earth. One more warning today before we close. It comes from 2 Peter 3, verses 1 to 13. I believe I have this one on the slides. 2 Peter 3, verses 1 to 13. Listen to the word of God. Peter says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. He's speaking about the days of Noah. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that are now existing are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth that are, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Tick tock. God has given all of us a spiritual alarm clock today. And if you aren't all in for Jesus yet, 
you have no time to waste. The Lord is warning us that when he comes back, and he will soon, time is up. Time is up. Whatever we are at that moment is what we are for the rest of eternity. If we're awake, we'll stay awake in the presence of the holy God for all eternity. And if we're asleep, we'll stay asleep from the presence of the holy God for all eternity. Now, maybe that sounds like a good thing, going, man, I'll sleep for the rest of eternity. No, here's the irony. The irony is that those who are awake spiritually when Jesus comes back go to be with God and experience the most amazing eternal rest they ever could experience. And those who are asleep when Jesus returns are sent away from God and will never experience rest ever again. The rest they got on earth, away from the toil, away from the temptations and the trials of following Jesus, That'll be the only rest they ever get. For the rest of eternity, those who remain asleep will never experience rest again but anguish and sleeplessness as they suffer for the consequences of their sins. Nobody can afford this. Nobody can afford this. Before we close today, listen to the beeping of your alarm clock one more time. Let's read the passage again. Romans 13, 11 to 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come to wake you up from your sleep. For our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Tick-tock. Are you awake today? If not, will you finally wake up today? Or will you lean over and hit the snooze one more time and possibly for the last time before your Lord returns to find out who's awake and who's all in for him. You see, the alarm clock today was sent in love, in love, from the one who died for you, so that you might be with him for the rest of eternity. He wants you with him for the rest of eternity. And those whom you love, you warn, so they're not harmed, right? That's what you do when you love somebody. You warn them, so they're not harmed. 2 Peter 3 said, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Listen to this. But is patient toward you. You. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Please, if you are asleep today, wake up. Wake up. And begin being all in for Jesus Christ. Or continue being all in for Jesus Christ. Because the Lord has told us, Behold, I am coming soon. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I hope this lesson had the spirit in which it was intended. Father, spirit of love and protection in a way over my people. I pray for the souls in this room. I don't know where they are. That's, that's the problem. I, I can't make an honest assessment of anybody in this room. But Father, I know that you can. 
And I pray that you'd speak to the souls in this room. And if there's someone here today who might not be awake, who may not know Jesus Christ, who may be pretending, who may have pretended a long time, who may have gotten several warnings before and have always hit the snooze, I pray that you'd come to them today in a special way. And you do for them what you did for me at age 26. You'd say, Todd, you're waking up today one way or the other. As you have your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I would just ask you, if there's a commitment you need to, make, need to make to the Lord today, I pray that you would do that. If today, in the culmination, the final series of being all in, maybe today is the day you need to make that commitment to the Lord and say, Lord, I've been faking it. I've been playing around. I've been sleepwalking. And I recognize that now, and I need to wake up. If you need to make a commitment to the Lord today, or renew a commitment, then do so right now before the Lord Father, thank you. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your great love to wake us up from our sleep. Keep us awake, Father, until Jesus returns. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.